welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. All right, fantastic job, musical team, team of musical worship. Really appreciate you guys. And, um, and we have a lot of groups, you know, I, I'm not, even as I'm saying that, I just want to pause and just say thank you to everybody who's been part of us getting back together in person. Um, can we just give a hand for everyone who's been volunteering to make that happen just even now? Like, um, you know, there's been so many things behind the scenes. So it's like our AV team has been working hard. We have some faithful camera people who've been doing a great job these last two Sundays. So thank you guys. But we have our welcome teams are working really hard behind the scenes and our children's ministry team as well, making sure that they're cared for and then they're accommodating for social distancing and all that stuff too. So um, even if I forgot anybody, like just want to acknowledge everybody even right now who's been a part of us being able to come back together. It's been a joy, and I know it's been a lot of work too, so I just want to acknowledge you guys. Uh, okay, so big question here. I don't want to test your brain, your head, and your mind. Um, does the saxophone have a place? Yeah. In congregational worship, I don't know how people are yelling that loud with their masks on. Um, there's a very strong response. Uh, I'm really hoping to hear from some people uh, and just respond to that. And But you can't just say yes. I need to know why. Why does the saxophone have a place in congregational musical worship? Okay, that's interesting. Okay, uh, the response was because it's an instrument. Anybody else? Now, what, what I want to encourage you to do, if you're here, you can respond to such by putting up your hand, and then Mr. Ross has got his hand held, and he's going to run to you, okay? And, and I see a hand up there. You're saved, okay? I see another hand up there. You're saved. Well, we'll see what their response is. We'll see if they're, sa- if they're saved or not by their response. Okay, let's hear what it is, okay? Because we're told to make a joyful, joyful noise unto the Lord. Wow. Well, he's right about noise. Okay. Uh, a joyful noise unto the Lord. He even used a Bible verse, so how can I refute that? Okay. Somebody else? Does the saxophone have a place in congregational musical worship? Yes, because it sounds good. Yes, because it sounds good. Kenny G, thank you for joining us this morning and sharing your unbiased opinion about the saxophone. Um, Anybody else, like, does, like, why, do we, do we need more saxophone? I see a hand down here, Ross, sorry, a bit of a run for you. Um, and he didn't wear his Fitbit today, so we're not really sure. Someone has to count all of his steps, please. Yes, because it's a passionate instrument, and we're supposed to passionately worship. Wow, we're supposed to, that sounds like a command. <laughs> The saxophone. Anybody? Anybody? Yes. Okay, I see a hand up there. Okay, this is this is gonna be our last one because I can't handle this anymore. Okay. <laughs> Does the saxophone have a place in congregational musical worship? Yes, because every instrument is worthy equally. Okay, that sounded that was very spiritual. <laughs> that was a really that that warmed my heart. Um I, you know what? I see another hand. Just let's just take one more because I just, yeah, I'm so kind. Yes, on the condition we could have more cowbell. 
In other words, the saxophone is not qualified on its own. It needs a cowbell to be qualified. I, I ask this question only because, um, based on sort of on our, our subject matter last week, where we were talking about, you know, when we worship, we have, uh, we have our own history, right? We have, we have our own shame. We have our things in our lives that we're ashamed of, and we, we, we bring into a conversation with Jesus or a relationship with Jesus, but we also bring our own religious activity, right? You know what? I forgot my mirror. I'm, I was going to bring it. I forgot it. Um, maybe, but, you know, it's like, you know, basically the, those, those things, the history and your shame and your, and your religious activity, is some, those are some things that the flesh, indwelling sin, something that is in you but is not of you, uh, wants to block your vision of Jesus. So you don't worship with excellence. You start worshiping your own image and you, you qualify or you categorize how to worship by what you see in that mirror based on your history. You know, and even for myself personally, you know, like I shared a little bit about last week, but, um, you know, I grew up uh, going to a Pentecostal church, so very vibrant worship, lots of bass and drums, lots of rhythm. You know, also my background is Caribbean as well, so we like that rhythm. You know, we like the rhythm, we like the, you know, some really strong bass and some really strong drums, right? And so that's, to me, I'm like, that's, that's lively, that's worship, right? But also the saxophone is not usually part of that experience. And you're like, what? How is that Pentecostal or not? No, it just wasn't. So usually when I see a saxophone brought in the mix, I'm like, what? It kind of throws me off a little bit. It speaks to my history a little bit, whether or not you have experience with it or not, or whether you like that instrument. Um... So, so on the topic of congregational worship history, I want to know this, congregation, as you're here with us this morning, what have you brought to our potluck? 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 Potluck. What have you brought today to our congregational worship experience? What's your congregational worship history? So for me, again, like I said, you know, very Pentecostal, that's what I grew up with, um, really long services, what, what, what did you guys grow up with? What was your experience? And even if you didn't grow up in church, what was sort of your first experience of congregational worship as a believer? Anybody here want to just feel free to just kind of share this morning just a little bit of what your background is? Okay. We used only a pitch pipe, no piano, no organ. A pitch pipe. That's right. To start it out, acapella. Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And Sorry, when you said pitch pipe, I imagined like a like the, no, the no, whistle. Like like, I don't disc, know why. Like a disc. Uh, and then we'd sing a cappella for part harmony. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, what else, what else have we brought to our potluck today? Um, what, else, what else? Do we have some chili? Do we have some shepherd's pie? What do we got? Uh, grew up with uh, organ music and traditional hymns. Mm. You know, I, I'm a sucker for the organ, though, I have to admit. I am a sucker for the organ. I think it sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? I had the lovely early 90s transition from piano and organ into, you know, guitar, shine, Jesus, shine. Um, and that kind of thing uh, with the girls and boys clubs at church. Uh, so a little bit of everything, but drums were, I mean, that was a little risky. Oh, drums were risky. Ready? Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the moon. 
Okay, here's the next one. Okay, let's go. I grew up also with like the long services and turning hymns into Latin rhythms. Oh, interesting. What? <laughs> that, that's I, I think that's, I think that's excellent. Like yeah, like that's. Can you salsa, Robin? Can I? Never mind. No, not. <laughs> We're talking about worship, not idolatry, I guess, at this point. Um, any, anybody else? Uh, what's your congregational worship history? I'll take one more. Okay. Well, yeah, we, we're, we're all bringing... Oh, did I see one more? Okay, sorry, we do have one more. Okay, let's, let's hear what that is. My first experience was a lot of loud music, full-on guitar, drums, keyboards, everything, with lots of dancing and clapping. Oh, totally, yeah. And singing pastors. And singing pastors. Oh, wow, you're... (laughs) Ross says not here. You won't won't get that here. (laughs) Next, Next week. Next week. My goodness. Well, we're, we're bringing so many different things to the potluck um, when we come together. We're bringing all kinds of history. And, and some people like the hymns. Some people like um, the, the choruses. Some people like certain instruments to be part of it. Some people feel certain instruments take away from the experience. So when we're talking about, when we're talking about worship, we're really in this context, we're only really talking about Sunday morning, correct? Right? So we're talking about two hours on a Sunday. But is that where worship happens? No, no, it does, it does at one point. But is that the only place it happens? Well, no. It, it, it's worship, like we learned last week, worship is a response to seeing Jesus. So worship is actually one act that could have multiple expressions. Worship is one act that could have multiple expressions. And so last week we talked about, well, how do we then worship with excellence? How do I personally worship with excellence? And so the answer to that is we do that by trusting Jesus to speak into our history. So a little bit of what we talked about, but also allowing Jesus to speak into our shame and our religiosity. So another word of saying, another way of saying our religious activity, we allow him. We don't, we don't go and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to change all these things on your behalf. No, no, the, it, He's so gentle. He's so sweet. We saw last week that that with the woman at the well, he invited her into an intimate relationship where she can worship with excellence. And he gently instructed and corrected her and to redirect her focus on the one by whom we worship through. And that's him is Jesus Christ, which is so awesome. But this morning, what we want to talk about is how do we, we, not you or I, how do we? Worship together with excellence. And again, let's look at our potluck. Look at all the things that came up today. Some people want saxophones in church. What? How am I going to deal with this, Jesus? How will I make it through this experience? Um, and then, and some people wanted organs. Some people had organs in their backgrounds. So you said that some people like the hymns. You know, who who here remembers the worship wars? You know, remember that term, worship wars? It's basically like it was. It's something that I think generally a lot of churches experienced in the 90s when there was a kind of a transition in congregational worship and congregational music. And so 
it was something where it did bring a lot of disunity to the church. And it's such, a, it's such an interesting example of how the enemy wants to take advantage of something that God has worked so hard to do, which is to bring us all together with all of our different histories and, and, and shame and, and religious activity and make us one, just like Jesus prayed in John 17. Um, so, so just quickly, let's just, let's just do a recap. Let's do a quick recap of last week, and then we're just going to jump into what we're going to be talking about today. Because what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at, we're going to be narrowing in on the one passage in the one, two verses, sorry, two verses in the passage we were looking at last week. So we were talking about the woman at the well, and then Jesus makes a statement towards the end of the passage. He makes a statement about how the true worshipers, the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth, because God is spirit. And so those who want to worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And what we're going to find out when we look at that today is we're going to look out, we're going to find out that the way that we do worship with excellence is when, um, is when we trust God to initiate worship. This is how we come together with unity. We trust God to initiate worship. We also trust God in conflict, right? Because based on our history, our individual histories, our individual shames we bring into our, our gatherings and our, into being a community, um, our religious activity, based on those things, conflict arises, right? So we trust Jesus, um, trust God in conflict, but we also trust God with our expectations. And then the end result is unity. The end result of worship is unity. And it's unity that um, empowers and protects and inspires us. But we're going to look at that together in, the, in, this, um, uh, in this talk this morning. So let me just pray quickly and let's just jump in. Um, and I'll just say, you know, Jesus, that this is, this is again, this is a, a subject matter that's way above what I'm competent in my own mind to bring. And so, yeah, I'm bringing my own history, I'm bringing my own shame, I'm bringing my own religious activity into this time as well. So I'm asking you to even, you know, help me to see past that and help me to see you as I'm speaking, but also help us to see you. And I just pray every aspect of what we do this morning, every aspect of what I do this morning is just worship because you are worthy of it. Because of what you've done, you are worthy of that. So I pray this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, quick recap of last week. Okay, so we were talking about worship as a response, okay? And we say the worship is a response uh, primarily because that word, like, like that word worship, even in Hebrew, the shakach is, is how you say it. Everyone say shakach. Good, you're all Hebrew scholars now. Um, it means like three things. It could mean worship, it could mean, it could mean to bow down, and it can also mean to kiss, it's it's an, it's an affectionate response. So like the, the verbal like the the, the the verbal picture that it's supposed to paint is the idea of uh, a dog licking its loving master's hand, and, and 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 we can understand that a little bit in the new covenant because we understand that we love because he first loved us. Right, First John chapter four verse ten talks about that. So we respond to God uh, with love. And I think one of the best descriptions of this that we can find in scriptures is Romans 12, verse 1. So let's put it up on the screen, Romans 12, verse 1. And it says this. 
Uh, let me do this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Woo! I did it. Thank you. Appreciate that. I need it. Um, so, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this is a new, this is a new covenant instruction. And it says, by the mercies of God. Another way of saying that is like when you respond, how you respond to the mercies of God, how you respond to the gospel, to the fact that you have been now made righteous by the death and the resurrection of Jesus and you have now been born of God and you are in Christ and his spirit lives in you and the wonder of that should evoke worship. It should evoke a response in you and this is the response that I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Are you living? Yes. Are you holy? Yes. Are you acceptable? Yes. The only instruction there was to present your bodies then. So I am aware of the gospel, and the gospel is the engine of worship. So I become aware of the gospel, and what happens is that I, I feel affection towards God, so I respond to him by saying, today I wake up, I'm going to work. I am helping my children with their schoolwork. I'm getting them ready to get out the door for school, or I'm preparing a meal for them, or I'm doing homeschooling today. And all of these things, I want to do it now, not in my own ability, but I want you to be expressed through me, and that in itself is worship. Can we receive that right now? That is worship. When we allow the Holy Spirit to be expressed through us. Therefore, worship is one act, but it can have multiple expressions. So it's not just music on a Sunday morning, right? It's not just music on a Sunday morning. It's not just when we come together for two hours and we call, we call ourselves a worship community and we and we do things together, so, that, so in these two hours, this is worship. It's not just that. It, it is that, but it's not just that. And then, is it just a lifestyle? Well, it's, it's more than that, right? It's way more than a lifestyle, because it's just trusting God. It's trusting God to work and live and act through us. So trusting God is an act of worship. Listen to this. Forgiving somebody who has harmed you is an act of worship. Right? Because that's very hard to do in your own ability. But you understand that Jesus paid the price for what, a harm that someone did against you. Jesus paid the price for them already. And so you can release the right to retribution against them because you understand what the gospel is and what happened there. And so you trust God to return to you what was taken by that individual. That is an act of worship. Sex in the context of marriage is an act of worship. You never thought about that? No reactions to that? Sex in the context of marriage is an act of worship. Why? Because, because God talks about it, like Paul talks about it very openly in Ephesians. He says, he says like, we're supposed to, be, there's supposed to be mutual love and respect. And then also other, other um, uh, passages as well, he talks about how the, how the husband shouldn't deny um, his, his, 
his wife his body, and the wife shouldn't deny uh, her, hus- uh, her husband her body because unless they're, they're fasting from doing it and, and, they're, and they're praying instead. It's something that God considers honorable, and it is, it is a, it's a demonstration, it's a demonstration of faith for us to be able to follow that command and love and serve each other in that way, husbands and wives, right? So even sex in the context of marriage is an act of worship, obviously with mutual love and respect, obviously not, not, not through abuse or, or, or manipulation or anything like that. Now, I'm talking a lot about doing, right? Right? Stuff we do with our bodies. So I hear you asking a really grim question, right? You haven't said it out loud, but I hear it in my mind, okay? You're asking a really grim question. So, so, how, so how can somebody then present their body to God um, if, they, if they don't have command over their body? Is that individual disqualified from worship? Does that disqualify Romans 12 verse 1? And the answer to that is no. Why? Because we worship in the Spirit and by the Spirit. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put none whatsoever. So through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we choose to trust him as our life. And then we inherit a new spirit that worships God only and we are inspired by the Spirit. We're inspired by the Spirit of God inside of us to respond to what we've seen and heard about God. Therefore, a person who does not even have command over their body can still consciously respond to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by trusting Jesus with their body's condition and even their current situation. That, like, can you imagine a greater act of worship than that? Can you imagine a greater act of worship than that? To say, God, I trust you now with this really dark scenario. So it, it's something that happens in our spirit. We're inspired, and, 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 God's, and by the spirit, we're, we're, we react with our mind and our, and our emotions and our will to choose God. That means that the spirit qualifies us all for worship. The spirit qualifies each and every one of us for worship. Therefore, it's not about our performance. Do you notice that we haven't had yet a conversation about how to perform well in worship from last week to this week? You notice we haven't had a conversation about performance excellence yet? Because that's not what it was about. The, the, initial, the initial opportunity, the initial thing that was presented to us is to have an identity of worship. We, inside of our spirits, we have a spirit that wants to worship God We don't have to come back to our heart of worship. We have a heart of worship. But is there an enemy who distracts us from seeing God properly? Yes. Is there an enemy who distracts us from being inspired by the Spirit of God? The answer is yes. And so we need to trust Jesus to to keep um, our focus on him. Again, worship is one act of a response to God that has multiple expressions. But in the same way, now I'm bringing it to our passage now. We are called to a unity in purpose together as a body of Christ. You and me and everyone here, we're all called to a unity in purpose. But our unity in purpose can have multiple expressions. So if the Holy Spirit inspires my soul with joy, 
What am I going to go to as Robin Anton, as God has created me? What am I going to go to? I'm going to go to McDonald's. There was a little bit of laughter there. No, not necessarily McDonald's. If I want to express joy, if I want to express joy, I'm going to go to music because that comes naturally to me and I just enjoy music and I love playing uh, guitar. And so, so that's how I express myself um, with joy. And so that is one way that I want to share that with our community. But each and every one of us have been made and shaped in different ways that the Holy Spirit wants to engage with your soul. You know what the first worship instrument is? It's your soul. The first worship instrument ever played is your soul. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart, speak to your mind, and encourage you and inspire you to now present your body in a way um, that brings honor to God, and it's Jesus living through maybe worship, maybe through hosting, maybe through... um, Oh, the, man, the gift of hospitality. Man, we just, please keep thriving in the gift of hospitality. The New Life family. Like, like, like um, what are other ways? Like, serve, like uh, just serving, having the gift of serving, having the gift of leadership. It's how the Spirit wants to work through each and every one of us. There's so many different ways, and we can have multiple expressions. And we're going to see that in these two verses that we're looking at today, um, that it's not just about worship. You know, it's the subject of worship, However, we're going to see a picture of the unity of the Trinity. We're going to see the Trinity is in this verse. And that the unity of the Trinity is what we've been invited into. And then the end goal of worship is unity. And we're going to see that together. So main point is, first one is trust God to initiate. And we're going to read uh, John chapter 4 verse 23. It says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now again, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he's talking to an individual. And all of a sudden, his subject matter changes. He stops, he stops talking in the second person to, to her, or the third person. And, and he changes and he makes it a we. And he makes it a plural. And he says, such people. People are the true worshipers, and they worship in spirit and in truth. Who are the true worshipers that Jesus is talking about? Anybody? It's us. We are the true worshipers. We're the ones who have been made in, in th- to worship through the Spirit and to worship in truth. And the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I love how it says the Father is seeking because that demonstrates how desirable we are. It, this, this was a, a marvelous plan, a great mystery that not even the prophets and the angels could have understood, but God has revealed it to us and we have been now placed into this opportunity and the Father is now seeking. He was seeking us, he was seeking us out and he was pursuing us and when we said yes to him, he did this. He guaranteed that we would have a spirit of, of worship, that we would have a heart of worship. He sealed us in as his, right? That's not the first time you've heard the Holy Spirit described in the subject of sealing in, right? We have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, we've, we've been given our hearts of worship that want to worship 
God, each and every one of us. That's how badly God wanted our worship. That's how badly he wanted to be connected to us. He guaranteed it. But what's the bigger picture? He's actually seeking a group of people, right? Because he was talking to an individual, but all of a sudden he says, no, look, it's a group of people. He desires all of us. Turn to the person beside you. I've always wanted to do this. Turn to the person beside you and say, you're desirable. Okay, obviously to your spouse. Okay, turn, right? turn to the other person. If there's no one on the other side, turn to the other person. Turn to the empty seat and say, you're desirable. You're desirable. Okay, you're desirable. Isn't that great? Like God pursued you. He is seeking. I love that word seeking. He's actively seeking those kinds of people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when he got you, he said, no, I, I'm, I'm making it guaranteed that we'll always be together because I'm bringing my spirit in you. Now you will be fueled from the inside out to live for, to live for me beyond the desires and the passions of the flesh. Matter of fact, he even crucified them. Jesus crucified the desires of the flesh on the cross. So the power of it over us is gone because his spirit is there and is empowering us to do good, to will, to do, to will and to work. We're going to come back to that. All right. So the Father has revealed himself to us in Jesus and invited us into the function and the work of the Trinity to now worship. And so I talked a little bit about this last week about um, the stained glass uh, windows, right? And how each and every one of us, we are all coming together as a body, but we're all coming broken because we're coming with our own history. Hi, Mirror. Too bad. We're coming with our own history and shame and religious activity. We're bringing that into the mix, but God wants to redeem that. He wants to take all the things that made us broken and stained, and just like a stained glass window, he wants to take all those pieces and he wants to put it together, and he wants to glue it together, and he wants to lift it up. And the thing with stained glass windows is that they were always created to tell a story. And when we come together as a body of Christ, when we let Jesus redeem our history and our shame, in our religious activity, he shines his light through that picture and people can see the story of Jesus. And that's the whole point. That the whole point of worship is that the glory of God would spread to the ends of the earth. That each and every one of us have now been made to worship and Jesus would be expressed through us. So wherever we go and whatever we do from Sunday to Sunday, not just Sunday morning, from Sunday to Sunday, whatever workplace you go to, you are expressing worship in how you work and how you talk to your coworkers and how you treat your children and how you treat your children's friends, parents. You're expressing worship in how you conduct yourself and the glory of God is spreading all over the world. But we have an opportunity even now as New Life Fellowship in Kitchener to come together in unity and express the story of God in this city, in Ontario, and in Canada. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. So God was after a group. But on the topic of light, we need, uh, our need for light is always greater in darkness. Right? Our need for light is always, always greater in darkness. So in other words, we don't know the full power of our unity as a community, Listen to me now. We don't know the power of our unity as a community until we face conflict. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. Right? We don't know it 
until we face conflict because otherwise we're just coasting. We're like, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, I'm doing good. We're in red, I guess. Like, it's fine, you know? But wait till you get into conflict. What's going to happen? What happens when somebody says, listen, you, you, you can't... Um, you can't tell my children about your Jesus friend, okay? You, you, your kids could be together at my house and be playing together, but if my kid asks about Jesus and stuff like that, you're not allowed to tell them about Jesus. It happens. And that happens to us individually. We struggle with those things individually, but we've been actually called to come together as a community to support each other in those kind of scenarios, Right? So in other words, we don't know the power of unity until we face conflict. Let's bring us to our second point, which is this. We're going to look at John chapter 4, verse 24a. John chapter 4, verse 24a, and it's this. God is spirit. And I'm just going to stop there. God is spirit. And you're like, what does that have to do with conflict? Don't worry, I'm going to explain. This is going to get dense. Are you guys ready to go on a ride with me? Because we're going to start talking about the Trinity. All right? And I'm going to do a very oversimplification of the Trinity. But I want you guys to come along. Everyone say, if you're, you're here, say, I'm here. Okay, let's go, okay? We're going to do a very, very, um, just kind of oversimplified look at that. And what I want to relate to you today is, is, a, is, is a hope that we would be able to do this. That we would be able to not be able to take, just take conflict head on. Because that's something that we're trained to do in the flesh, right? That's how the world behaves. The world says, there is a conflict, run at it. You know, tell somebody what to do, you know, get down on them, um, you know, shame somebody to, to do something the way you need it to be done. That's sort of how the world works. But here we're going to find out something very special, that when we as a body focus more on our unity rather than the conflict at hand, when we as a body focus more on our unity rather than the conflict of, at hand, we are actively trusting God in the midst of conflict. And then he can work through us to resolve it. Because you know what the truth is? Unity generally, some, more often than not, comes out of conflict. You work through something, you earn each other's trust through something, and you become more refined as a group because you journey together. And what we're going to look at right now is that God is spirit. God is one nature, but three persons. God is one nature, but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is what this is very important theology for us because, I mean, if you talk to, to a Muslim congregation about the Trinity, they would say, like, that's the one thing that's wrong with you guys. We believe God is one. We believe God is one. But this stuff about the Trinity, that's nuts. We do not agree with that. We have to be able to own this conversation. God is spirit. He's one nature, but three persons, and they live in perfect unity. There is no conflict there. There is no conflict there because there's no sin to have conflict. They work in perfect unity. Now, I want you to answer these questions with me, okay? Am I in Christ? Can I get an amen? To, can I get a yes to that? Am I in Christ? So say yes, obviously. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 talks about that. Um, but am I divine? Someone said yes. I kind of appreciate the um, the compliment. Um, how, however, no, we're, we're, we're not we're, we're not God. I, I'm not I'm not God because I'm in Christ, right? 
Let's keep going. Am I born of God? Okay. Okay, we could agree with that. Okay, we can because First uh, John verse four verse seven says that I am actually born of God. When when I became a believer, I got a new life, and so I'm a child of God because the life that I received is Jesus's life. So now I'm a child of God. That's so precious. I am born of God. I share His likeness for that reason. But am I God? No. Okay. Do I have the Spirit of God? Can I get a yes to that? Yes? Okay. Do I have the Spirit of God? Yes. But am I God? No. No, no, no. So, so you, what you can see here is that the, the, I am so, and each and every one of us, not just me, but each and every one of us, we're so connected to God. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. I am born of God. I share in his likeness. I am a child of God. Beautiful. And I also have his spirit inside of me. Look how connected we are to God. And God himself, the Trinity, is completely unified. They are, they are assembled in complete unity. Therefore, I have an, an inherited impulse and characteristic and a desire now to be unified with the rest of the body of Christ. And that's more than just a feeling. That's the truth, because each and every one of us have the same spirit, and we're all connected. We all have the exact same spirit, so we are unified. No matter where we are, that's why those of us who are journeying with us online, and those of us who are here, we have more in common with each other than we might have with a biological brother or sister who does not know Christ, because we're connected by the same spirit. And when we focus on that kind of unity, how connected we are to God, how God is so connected to us, then we have an, not only an impetus, but the, the, the reasoning, the logic to push through conflict. Because conflict happens. In the same way that nothing can separate us from God, nothing can separate me from Barry Hummel. Nothing. Because it's the Spirit of God. Now the enemy wants to take advantage, wants to take advantage of my history my shame, the enemy wants to take advantage of my religious activity, what I think I need to do to please God, to create a distortion where I believe that somebody else who is in the body of Christ is my enemy and that I am not connected to them. And that is the disunity that the enemy loves to stir up. That's where the worship wars came from. The people were focusing on their conflict, their differences, rather than focusing on how united they were. And it still happens. It's not the end of it. And there's nothing actually wrong with the conflict in the first place. The fact is that we're just not going to let the enemy have a foothold, right? Because when each and every one of us bring our mirrors into our community, we bring our mirrors into our worship times. When we bring those in, we're, we're, we're all inviting ourselves to have conflict. Why? Because we have the flesh. Because we have indwelling sin. It's going to happen. But it's not the end of the world. It just means that whenever we recognize there's conflict, it means that maybe, just maybe, I need to let Jesus bring my mirror down. Or maybe I instruct or I correct a fellow brother and sister in Christ and love and say, hey, maybe you got a mirror at play. 
because we have so much in common. I, I want to fight for our relationship. I want to fight for our unity. Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to just jump there quickly, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 um, says this. It says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you don't maintain something that you're just creating. You maintain something that's already there. We're already united. So even if someone brought the saxophone in, oh Lord, even if someone brought in a saxophone and was like, Robin Lowe, yo, I just, I just want to play the whole melody of It Is Well with the Saxophone. I'd be like, listen, I love you. I'm going to journey with you on this, you know? I'm just using the saxophone for fun. Um, but it's an opportunity for me in that, even that scenario, to lay down my history mirror, you know, and consider what's really important at this time. And is God leading um, leading us or leading me to journey uh, with somebody or, or to work something out. Um, so, so conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. There can be good conflict. There could be opportunity for people to work uh, together by acknowledging that it's there and allowing Jesus to remove it. And conflict is active. It's not passive. Sorry, not conflict, but unity. Unity is active. It's not passive. So it's something that we actively do. If I keep turning my head away from something that I, that I feel is an issue and start keep ignoring it and not allowing Jesus to speak into that, then I'm only going to invite more conflict in the future. And you know how that happens. We've all seen it in churches already. We've all, most of us have been in churches for a long time. We've walked this road many times. We've seen somebody else walk this road many times. And we're tired of it, aren't we? I think it's time for the church to realize how connected they are to God and how it is their impulse and how it is natural to them to desire and fight for unity. Why? Because they are in Christ. They are part and journeying with what the Trinity is doing and the Trinity is unified. It's part of our makeup. You know, even as a church right now, um, we, we, have, we have a bit of good conflict because we've grown a little bit over the pandemic. And so now we've been thrown back together, now in person, and we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how, how do we accommodate the larger numbers now with, you know, wanting to get together to worship, but then we want to do social distancing and all this sort of stuff, and, and conflict arises in that. And um, I have to just say that I've been so impressed with the journey that we have been on as a church in being able to work out some of those things and being able to love and encourage each other and speak truth uh, into each other's lives as we process this stuff. Because it's actually a, is that good conflict or bad conflict? It's good. It's, it's a good thing. But the enemy wants to take advantage of something and say, like, well, look at your mirror. Look at your history. You were treated poorly. You were treated poorly in your past church circumstance when you raised a concern. And if you raise your concern in this way, then you're going to get that same thing again. And the enemy is just encouraging you to do fight or flight, right? Only two things, fight or flight. I'm going to run away or I'm going to stick, stick, stick it out. Sorry, I'm going to run away or I'm going to fight the other person. He's only going to encourage you to do two things. But if we understand how unified we are, we understand how connected we are to each other, then we, can, we don't have to listen to that. We can lay down those mirrors. We can allow Jesus to lay down those mirrors and we can connect with each other and be 
and work through conflict. And then when we do that, it makes us even more unified than when we started. The, what the enemy tried to use against us ends up making us stronger. Can I get an amen to that? Right. Oh man, it's so beautiful. And so we're just continuing to journey through that and love each other through those things. But the next thing is that it's tough though, because when we do work through conflict, what we have to do is we have to trust God with the expectations of what, of what would happen when I raise a concern or I, or I, or I, or I try to correct somebody or if, if I agree with somebody and I lay down my argument, I don't know what the result's going to be to that. So we have to trust, each, we have to trust God in each other, but we also, have to trust, um, we also have to trust God with the results of that. So next point is this. So it's to trust God. <clears throat> next main point here is it's to trust God with our expectations. So we've understood this, that for us to worship with excellence, we need to, um, we need to trust God. We need to trust God to initiate worship. We need to trust God to, um, in conflict. But we also need to trust God with our expectations. And so John chapter 4, verse 24 says this. Here's the rest of it. And his worshipers, so this is God's worshipers, it's just it's still Jesus talking. So John chapter 4, verse 24 says this. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you have to remember, too, that he said before that, we, that the worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. So it's guaranteed that we will worship. And now Jesus says they must. So not only will they, but they can't help but do it. They can't help but worship. Because we have been made to worship. You and I were made to worship. You and I are called to love. Come on, Ian. Give in. All right. It's been a while for that one, I think. We've been made to worship. There's three things I want us to point out really quickly um, about how the Trinity is right here in this passage, right? Because we see here that if we want to worship the Father, we need to worship him in the spirit, but we also need to worship him in truth. And so first and foremost, in the truth, how do, we, how do you define that? Well, who is the truth? Jesus, right? Jesus himself is the truth. So um, Jesus' death and resurrection enables us to worship. When we believe in him, it enables us to worship. So he initiates worship. Who is the worship leader? Jesus. Who is the worship leader? Like the, the Trinity. The Trinity is part of that. They, they've initiated this. They are the actual worship leaders, right? Jesus' death and resurrection enables us to worship in the Spirit. Number two, right? If we're going to worship in the Spirit, we realize that it's the Spirit now who wills and works through us. We talked about this, right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, for it is God who works in you. This is one of my favorite verses. I just have to say that right now. It is God who works in you both to will, to even want to resolve conflict, to even allow God to express through you, um, be expressed through you. Um, it's the Spirit who gives you the desires and the inspiration to, uh, to allow Jesus to be expressed through you in every aspect of your life. And he also works through us. So he also works through us, and that is God's good pleasure that that would happen. 
And the last thing is that that all of this is done so that we could worship the Father. So we see that the Trinity is involved in this aspect of worship, in in in, in what's happening with us. So this means also that I cannot worship in the flesh. That means if I do anything in the flesh, it's not worship. It's actually just idolatry. Now, I want to just make this personal, okay? I can do this. I've, I've had taken the opportunity to be a band leader here a few, a few times, and I could do this. I could prepare songs. I could talk to Ross and say, Ross, what are you speaking on? And Ross is like, oh, I'm talking about love. I'm like, all right, I'm going to find some songs about love. And I could find songs about love, and I could do all of that in the flesh. Right? I don't need God to, like, I could, I could figure it out myself. I'm just choosing to do that all in the flesh, and I could just put together a great set list. Then I could practice it, and I practice with the team, and, and say, okay, team, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and they do it all, and we go, and we actually lead worship together, and it's, and it's all done in the flesh. I haven't asked God to, to work through me. I haven't been inspired by him to work through me at any point in time. I've done it all in the flesh, and I could actually even get praise for that. Because it's hard to discern what's what, right? Is this done in the worst flesh? Is this done in the spirit? I mean, even sometimes when we even hear secular artists, right, putting a set list together, you know, being excellent at their instrument, leading a team, and they go up and they perform, they're doing it all in the flesh, and that music could still inspire you, right? But I'm no different than any secular musical performer if I do all those things absent of the Spirit, if I don't ask God to, be, to inspire every aspect of what I do. You know, I saw the, the music team uh, praying this morning before they got, off, got to their set. And I thought, like, that's, that's just a great picture of, in my mind, of not necessarily everybody has to do this. I have to be careful with that, right? I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but I thought that's just a great picture of saying, you know what, maybe just in this moment, team, um, or whoever initiated it, it's like, it's like, just in this moment, we're just going to acknowledge that it's, it's about Jesus working in and through us. And we're, and, we're, and we're just going to come and do that. And the thing is that a secular artist who prepares a set list and is very excellent, listen, the music is there for the common good. I mean, that's how God created music. I mean, it's just there for the general common good. It blesses people. It's, it's a type of creation that by which God is revealed, you know. But when the Spirit gets hold of a person who says, I am offering now um, this, my joy, which is music. I'm offering you now my joy, which is caring for children. God, I'm offering you now my joy, which is being hospitable and preparing meals for people and having them over to my house and caring for them. I, I am expressing to you now, Lord, my, my joy, even in just doing a job that I actually hate, but I'm just offering it to you so that you're glorified through it. It's my joy to do that. When that happens, forget the common good. Supernatural excellence happens. We're not ready for that. There's no litmus test. There's no category you could put that in other than it's just God and God is working through you. And that's what God is calling each and every one of us into. Right? And, And the truth is that when I do something in the flesh, it just doesn't satisfy me. And you know why? Because I was created to worship God. I wasn't created to do things in the flesh. And sometimes I've done that where I've prepared and done worship and, you know, I got praised for it. And afterwards, you know, I just felt dissatisfied. And God's kind of brought to my attention that, you know what? You know why? Because you, you didn't do it with me the whole time. You, you, I wasn't part of that. And I, and I want to be part of it. And you want me to be part of it. 
And that dissatisfaction is dispelled because I want, I want, I want, I want the Holy Spirit to will, to give me the will and the work to do this um, and offer this gift or offer the skill to Jesus and to others, <clears throat> but through, the, through Jesus working through me. So true worship, more than skill, I want you to get this, true worship more than skill involves trust and risk. True worship more than skill involves trust and risk. Not whether you are excellent at something or even if you're just growing in a skill. It involves us trusting Jesus to work through us and we're trusting the results to him. We're not taking any opportunity to say, okay, this is my level of excellence, God, of what I expect should happen in our community or in our group. I am instead coming together with New Life Fellowship or I'm coming together with a group of people in my small group, or I'm coming together uh, with, with these other moms together, or get together with these other dads, and we're talking about being fathers or whatever. And, we're, and you know what? When we come together, I am trusting you to, to, to do supernatural excellence through us. And what's the beauty of that is that there's power in numbers. There's power in numbers. That's what the enemy doesn't want. He doesn't want power numbers. He doesn't want us to come together and say we're all collectively now allowing Jesus to lay down our history, shame, and religious activity. We're laying it down and we're saying all of our rights we lay it down. We say, no, whatever Jesus is doing today, we want to get behind that. We want to be instruments of that. I offer my soul. And Sarah offers her soul. And Hannah offers her soul. And, and Greg offers, her soul, offers his soul. We all present together our bodies. We say, Jesus, whatever you're doing today, I am on board for what you're doing because I am interested in supernatural excellence. I'm not interested in the common good. If you want to hear good music, you want to, you know, like get inspired by good music, listen, U2 is a great band. Next time they're on tour, listen, man. Love those guys. Great band, okay? Maybe they're not a great example. <laughs> Maybe they're not a great example. Or I should say Kenny G. I love Kenny G. He's got a great Christmas album. Okay? But I also want to say this, that I've been talking a lot about musical worship, and that's one way that we, ex we can express ourselves, right? Remember again, one act, it's a response to God, but has multiple expressions. But even when we come together, we've talked about this in the past, but you can be inspired with an encouraging word. So you're in the midst of worship and you, you're experiencing God and, and all of a sudden God lays on your heart. You just, feel, you just feel so much joy, so much love for the community and God lays on your heart this encouraging word for the whole community. Maybe this has happened to you where God has laid something on your heart and you're like, oh, this is for everybody. This is, this is for me to share with everybody. And then what happens in that moment? History. Oh, well, last time I opened up, people thought it was stupid. Shame. Oh, if I open up, people will think, uh, people know my story, so they'll, they'll just reject it. They won't accept it as truth. And then another one comes up, religious activity. Oh, um, if, if, I, if I do this, if I do this, then, you know, I won't be accepted. So I need to do whatever it is to be accepted. You know what happens in those moments? Maybe this has happened to you. And, and, and it's sort of a dangerous thing because, because the, enemy wants, the enemy wants to stop those moments from happening. 
And there could be a moment for you to be encouraged to say something prophetic, to encourage the body, to make us more unified than when we started when we were together. You might be inspired. And so what we said like earlier on in our journey as a congregation, we said, you know what? Um, if you do, if for whatever time when we're gathered together, or, or even, I should say this, even Sunday to Sunday, you know, you just feel inspired with a word for the community that's going, you know, and it's like, you just feel like, I need to express this. You can just go on our Facebook um, community group, if you're part of our group, and, and, just, um, and then just put in something there. Put in, like, do a little video or write a little message or something like that to encourage you and, and to encourage other people. And some of you have already done that. And we have been likewise encouraged and unified by that. Because you never know what somebody else is dealing with. And whatever you bring up or whatever you share, you know, it might, it might be exactly what God is speaking to multiple people at the same time because they're all struggling with the same thing quietly. So this is just an encouragement to us, an encouragement, that if we're meeting in person and you just feel that, you know, like, uh, you know, Ross said this earlier on, you know, just come to one of the elders and say, listen, I think I have a word for us. And then we can say, okay, you know what? I really believe that is for us right now. And then we invite you to just maybe come up front and share it. Um, and, and then, or maybe we'll say like, maybe one of us say like, you know, maybe that's not, right, not the right time. And maybe you save it for later, right? Um, or maybe it's something you just want to put on the community group during the week. But this is just an example of how the Spirit wants to work in and through us to create unity. Um, so again, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And, and we're going to sing a song together. But again, how do we worship with excellence? Um, we trust God to initiate worship. Uh, we trust God in conflict because not all conflict is bad. It could actually be an opportunity to create more unity. And then the last thing is that we have to trust God with, the ex with our expectations, with the results. We have to trust him with that and allow him to work through whatever we're dealing with. And what happens when we do that is that, we, is that there's a unity that happens, right? What we step into is a unity that protects us, that empowers us, and it also inspires others. And people will be able to see Jesus Christ at work in us because there's power in numbers. The enemy loves worship wars because he loves the disunity that it causes. He just wants to make us run away or fight each other. But instead we realize that, no, no this is a smoke screen. This is just a silly mirror that I've seen before. And I believe more strongly in the unity that exists between us. And so when we worship, how do we worship with excellence? It's those three things, but the result of that is unity. It unifies us together. The majority of the New Testament, it's not necessarily about evangelism. Some of it's about worship, but most of it is about the, 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 the nascent church, the, the, the newborn church, learning to work together and be unified. And the message is still the same today. We still struggle with this, and we're still, but we're still unified. We still struggle with it, but we're still unified, and it's not finished. Um, sorry, worship team, I'm going to have you standing up here for a bit. Sorry, I'm, I'm almost there, okay? Um, I want to do two things. I want to say, I want to say thank you to, um, I want to say thank you to the few people, I'm not going to name, name every name, but the few people who said, we feel inspired to plant a church. We feel inspired to plant a church and we want to call it New Life Fellowship and we want to have it be part of Kitchener, be in Kitchener. And we just feel inspired to do that. 
and said, we're going to come together and be unified in this decision. And the group of them said yes together, and they confirmed that it was God, and they moved towards that. And I, was, I am currently now so blessed by this decision that they made, that they stepped out in boldness and in unity and did this. And that was an act of worship. And many people have been blessed by their faithfulness to do that. Um, I, I can't even say enough about how my family is blessed by that, and I think many of you can say that as well. Um, and so, uh, and then the second thing I want to say, though, is this, that, um, like a little, a little story about history, okay? I had to lay down my history, uh, when I was at this men's retreat, some of you here were at this men's retreat, <laughs> I had to lay down my history and let go of the results of what was going to happen. But, um, I was at this men's retreat, and there was, they were playing the song. It was called Death Was Arrested. And, uh, and there was a lot of men there. And there was a lot of, if you don't mind me saying, a lot of white men there. And in and, and my experience growing up in uh, more multicultural churches, usually the more multicultural is a little more expressive uh, than your general North American kind of, you know, white, you know, kind of congregation coming together. And, uh, and I had my history mirror up when I was in this worship service. And these guys, this song, this, this, this song we're going we're gonna to sing next came on. And uh, let me tell you, I have never, ever to this day experienced a worship experience like that. I've never experienced it because you never generally see men give their all. Let me tell you, it wasn't excellent. <laughs> the voice, like their voices weren't great. But it was a primal roar when the song came on. And I felt God so strongly. And I just realized that I couldn't even sing. I had to stop singing. I just had to take it in. I've never seen men react to worship to, like I saw to that song. And I said, Jesus, listen, whatever, listen, whatever you have planned is better than whatever I think is excellent. I lay it all aside. And... Um, and it just humbled my heart, and it's still one of those moments for me that I always hold on to, just seeing that, you know, like, because um, they always say, like, you know, generally, if you take the women out of the worship service, you know, the men are pretty quiet. They don't really get exuberant. I've never seen men express themselves like that before. Um, but this is a powerful song, and actually, to, to, to be honest, it's a song that I've never, I didn't really like before, and I was like, I don't know, oh, great, they're going to play this song. I, I, I'm kind of tuning out. But I couldn't help but sing along. I couldn't help in the end to, to sing along with them because it just inspired me so much. So um, we're going to sing the song together in unity. And we're going to sing the song together. Maybe you are on, um, online, you're taking this in, and maybe you're by yourself. But even just now, I just want you to put your hand to your heart if you're by yourself right even right now and, and just consider the fact that you are desirable and that it was God's desire that you'd be united to a body um, and, and, and loved. And so in this moment right now, all of us are connected across the internet and even right now across the seats from each other in unity. Let's take the opportunity now to express our love for the Lord and let him um, uh, bring us to a deeper revelation of who he is. Let's worship together. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. 
subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.